not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and of joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean. But it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Let's pray this morning. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we ask that you would speak to us from your word. We ask that you would uh, come to us now through the ministry of the word and that you would instruct us and guide us and and even correct us. We pray that you would uh, build up the church body this morning through the ministry of the word of God. We thank you that you're great and mighty and powerful and for all the things that you have given us in Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. We're continuing this morning with this theme of not causing a a brother or sister to stumble. And the idea here would be, don't trip people. I don't know if you've ever done this when you were in high school or grade school or elementary school, where it's funny to kind of put your foot out, hold it there, and maybe you can trip them. Uh, When I was young, we used to, maybe when we were walking down the street, You would come up behind somebody, and when they would lift their leg up to step, you would try to kick the back of their heel so they look funny because their leg flies forward. And if you do it wrong, you end up tripping them. And it was all in good prankster sort of fun. But it's a more serious matter in the life of the church to trip someone, to cause someone to stumble, to put a roadblock in their way over things that are not essential to the gospel. Now, elsewhere in the scriptures, we are told that the Lord Jesus Christ is a stumbling block, that the gospel itself is a stumbling block. There will be people who get hung up on Jesus and stumble over him and do not believe because of that. However, inside the church, we are all believers. And as believers, we are not supposed to trip one another up over things that are not essential. Remember, we are talking about issues of Christian liberty. We are talking about issues of personal conscience. We are not talking about things that are uh, real and actual sin, but things that we might have disagreement over, things that we might have, some of us might have a stricter personal conscience over, and some of us might have, we feel, a little more freedom to enjoy certain things. This was particularly true in the Church of Rome, where you had people coming out of a Jewish background, and they would have had the Jewish food laws as their heritage, and people who were coming and being saved out of a Gentile background, and they had none of the hang-ups over particular food. And so Paul had to instruct them and in turn instruct, instruct us, don't cause a brother and sister in Christ to stumble. First this morning, do not cause the stumbling of others, but walk in love. 
And so the principle that is to govern all of this and how we interact with one another as believers is, am I doing this out of love? Am I thinking of the other person first? Am I putting their needs and, and hurts and, and hang-ups before my own self, before I think of me? So, we said last week, don't judge others. And this week we're going to say, instead of judging others, do what you can to avoid causing them to stumble. Look with me, Will, if, if you will, at verse 13. Therefore... Let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. So judging them over these matters of conscience, you see them doing something that you disagree with and you say, well, I can't believe that they do that. I I thought they were a good Christian. Or you see them not embracing a particular freedom. So a Jewish or a Gentile person might be seeing the Jewish person not eating some sort of meat and only eating vegetables and saying, well, I can't believe that. Don't they know Jesus? Don't they know that we're free in Christ? And we talked a number of different scenarios last week that it would apply to in our modern day life where people have some liberty of conscience. What you eat, uh, what you drink, if you go to the movies or not, what you watch on TV, how many games do you allow your children to play, how long do you allow them to be on the Internet, all sorts of things fall in the realm of Christian freedom. So not only should we not be judging, but the idea here is do not exercise your freedom in such a way that causes another brother to stumble. So last week, don't use your freedom to judge or look down, but now... Don't trumpet your freedom in such a way that is going to lead other people to stumble in the faith. Don't just casually walk around and be like, hey, you know what? I'm free in Christ. I do whatever I want as long as it's not sin. I'm going to eat this. I'm going to drink this. I'm going to go to these movies. And you have this brother or sister in Christ who has this sensitive conscience and you've just trampled all over it. Don't want the behavior of freedom. So if you go back to chapter 14, verse 5, notice it says this, each of you should be fully convinced in his own mind. And so where you have issues of freedom, you are allowed to use wisdom, use the word of God and make decisions to the best of your ability. But at the same time, as you make these decisions, be careful that you don't trumpet them and erect them and put them out there like some kind of giant rock, that someone sees the way that you're living your life and as a fellow believer in Christ, they stumble because they maybe have a weaker conscience. So you may know that something is clean, but you might have a brother and sister that still struggle with this. Look at verse 14. I know, Paul says, and I am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. So this is going to relate particularly to the food laws. And I, and I would say that, you know, food laws in, in um, 
the ancient times that they had in uh, coming out of their Jewish background isn't something that most of us in the modern day church are going to have a hang up about. But how Paul unpacks this for their situation gives us instructions for how we deal with it in our situations that we have hang ups over. So you think about how the food laws work and you maybe remember Mark chapter seven. Uh, Jesus says to, to, to them, he says, then you are without understanding. Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him since it is it enters not his heart, but his stomach and is expelled. And then Mark adds this parenthetical clarification. Thus, Jesus declared all foods clean. We again, we're going through in Sunday school, the book of Acts and a number of weeks ago. Uh, we looked at Peter and how that sheet comes down. And Peter is told to go and eat. And Peter says, by no means, Lord, I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. So go and eat, go and enjoy it, go and do these things. The word of God is saying you can do it. This was the ceremonial law from the Old Testament It doesn't apply to us in that same ceremonial sense today. However, Paul says here, if your conscience convicts you, don't do it. So he says in the second half of the verse, but if it is unclean for anyone or but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. So we might put it this way, right? objectively, from a a biblical scriptural perspective, the food is now declared clean. There is no more of that ceremonial uncleanliness that we had to be so careful about or that the people of God had to be so careful about in the Old Testament. But subjectively, if a Jewish believer who is now in the church and they believe in Christ still is finding it unclean, they're still wrestling with the, this, this burden. Then for them, it's unclean. The Gentile wasn't supposed to come along and, and kind of wave their finger in their face and say, well, you can eat these things now. And, and maybe like intentionally bring something that wasn't kosher and like shove it in their face and say, you've got to have this because you're a Christian. And if you don't eat it, Paul says, don't. Don't harp on them in that way. If their conscience is bugging them, if they're they're still feeling like it's unclean, then it would be wrong for them to eat it. It would be personally wrong. And he talks about this later, and we'll get to this, but if they can't eat it in good faith, if they can't eat it with a boldness and a confidence in Christ, then then they shouldn't be doing that. Don't let their own conscience burden them even more. So, we have this maybe in our day and age. Some grew up in a very strict church setting. And, and perhaps you grew up in a setting where, where women always wear dresses, where they definitely always wear dresses to church. And, and maybe you feel uncomfortable uh, as a lady wearing slacks to church. And so just out of your comforting, uh, this is how I grew up, this is just what I'm most comfortable in, you wear a dress to church. Amen. Praise God. 
We're not going to come up to you and say, well, you know, because you're free in Christ, you, you should wear slacks. And we're not going to put that down on you and say, well, you know, if you were really mature, you would, you would wear your jeans like you can. By the same token, we're not going to say, let's say there's somebody that grew up, they didn't even go to church growing up. And, and they've become a believer as an adult. And, and they wear, you know, they put on a nice whatever for, for church, but they don't wear dresses. They don't like dresses. They don't buy a lot of dresses because they don't use them in their daily life. We're not going to go to them and say, you know, you're in our church now and you need to have at least four dresses and one for the fifth Sunday because you can't wear, you know, pants. You know, that's not how we operate in the life of the church. That's not how we're supposed to think these things through. We may have a personal conviction some of you may feel like, you know what, I, I, my personal conviction is I'm going to dress up a little more for church. I, I just think it helps me get in the right frame of mind to, to put on a suit jacket, to focus that I'm going to church. It, it helps me realize I'm doing something out of the ordinary, and that's worshiping God. Others of you might say, you know what, I'm, I'm just so comfortable when I come into the house of God. And, and if I put on a suit and if I put on a bow tie, boy, that's just really going to distract me from worshiping God because I'm, I'm going to be thinking about how it chased my neck. And you know what, if I just wear jeans, I can just focus on God because I'm not paying attention to what I'm wearing. And to that we say, Amen. But if you feel like you can't wear jeans to church, if you feel like your conscience is going to convict you, then fine. No one's forcing you to do that either. And this is what Paul is dealing with in the church, and it is, it is just so amazingly practical to the things that we fight about as modern-day evangelicals. I grew up in a church, and, and you know, we, we you know, can, well, you know, the ushers, they, they better wear jackets, and they better wear ties, and there were these things you could do and this you couldn't do. And this is how you had to look and this is how you couldn't look. And, and it became these things that had nothing to do with the kingdom of God. Notice that Paul says that the goal is love. Verse 15. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So if you have bacon, I've been using the analogy of bacon a lot lately in these sermons, and you bring your bacon and you are just chomping away at bacon at the fellowship meal of first century Rome, and you're just chomping and, and you're carrying that plate around and you're like chewing it, hey, you, you, you want some? And here's this Jewish person. And they, they've embraced Christ, they're new in their faith, and yet, boy, they, oh man, that, that's, you know, those laws were in the Old Testament. I grew up living that way. I can't just throw those out. And maybe they even still have family that's Jewish. And so part of the reason for conscience is to say, you know, I've got I to gotta be a good witness uh, to them so that they'll uh, want to hear more about Christ. And so this grieves them. Paul's saying, you know what, you may have that freedom to bring your bacon. You may have that freedom to eat something, but you're not walking in love. You're not thinking about what that is doing to the other person's conscience. And look, we realize that some people will just have an oversensitive conscience and will never be happy no matter what you do. 
But Paul is challenging the person who is embracing their freedom to say, think about how you love your brother. And he goes back to Christ. And he says, Christ died for that person. How in the world can you think you have the right to trample them with your newfound freedom? Do you have that freedom? Yeah, absolutely. But don't use your freedom in such a way that you trample other brothers and sisters in Christ. Particularly if they're young. Particularly if they have a very sensitive conscience. Don't just walk in and flout this freedom that you have. Well, hey, I'm in Christ. Well, praise God. And praise God that you do have that freedom. And praise God that that you are that person of the stronger faith that, that does not have an overly sensitive conscience. Again, not on matters of real sin, but on matters of personal preference. But at the same time, think of how you may be hurting someone else. Is your actions driving them to Jesus more or driving them away from the faith? Now, you may walk in with your freedom in Christ and say, well, well, you know, they need to know that they have this same freedom that I have. And so I'm going to do this so they'll see it. And the only way for them to, to realize is to start doing exactly what I'm doing. Maybe it's drinking some wine. Maybe it's eating a certain type of food. Brothers and sisters, you haven't used your freedom to drive them to Christ. They're not going to feel more free in Christ. They're going to feel bullied. They're going to feel guilt-tripped. They're going to struggle in their faith because of what you're doing. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. They may be grieved in some way that you look at and say, you know, that's a, that's a little bit unreasonable. That's a little bit extreme. They're stricter than I would be. Keep your opinion to yourself, Paul is telling us. And work hard at not grieving them. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Think of the example of the Lord Jesus Christ, not only with his death, he sacrificed himself for them. How much more can you sacrifice and give up a little bit of your freedom in their presence for the sake of them, for moving them along in their Christian faith, for helping them grow? Maybe at some point you're just being uh, laid back and reserved about your freedom. Maybe at some point they'll come and say, you know what, I, I really, you know, I don't have to be so strict like I was in my upbringing. But in his earthly life, Jesus, we're told, a bruised reed he did not break, a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice and victory. Jesus was so tender with those who were hurting, not only in the sensitive conscience way, but certainly those who had real hurts and real pains, but in the similar way. Inside the church, how much more should we be tender and careful around those who maybe have a sensitive conscience? Let's say, for example, that you go and you see a movie. Maybe you're going to go see the new Avengers movie when it comes out. And there's someone in church that feels like, you know, I, I just I can't go to movies. It just it, it, 
I think about all the wrong things. I get distracted by the violence. Uh, I can't even be in a movie where there's just a little bit of kissing because it makes my mind wander into lust. And so for personal conscience, they say, just as a rule, I don't go to movies. Don't walk in on a Sunday morning and be like, hey, did you see the Avengers movie? It was awesome. And and blab all about it and then that make that brother or sister in Christ feel shameful or upset because they know that their conscience can't handle going to a movie. There's nothing wrong with going to a movie. There's nothing wrong with avoiding a movie. We need to exercise discernment in those things. Personal discernment. And some of us, maybe we're okay going to a PG-13 movie or maybe even a certain R-rated movie. And others of us say, you know what? Those images, they stick with me. And they make my mind wander in places I don't want it to go. And so we avoid them out of personal reasons. But the point is, as you talk and exercise your freedom, don't flaunt it. Don't do it in such a way that you look down on people that, well, why wouldn't you go to a movie? You know, there's nothing wrong with movies. Or maybe even in such a way where you sneer at the person that did go to a movie. Oh, don't they know what that movie will do to them? Maybe they've thought through those things. Maybe they can look at it objectively. Also, notice this. It says, do not let what you consider to be good be called evil in verse 16. Look at verse 16. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. So here's the flip side, right? So the one side of this is don't do something that's going to crush your brother, right? If your brother is grieved by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love. You know, avoid certain things in their presence. But the other side of it is, do not let what you regard as good to be spoken of as evil. So if you're embracing something that's freedom, and you recognize it as freedom, don't let that other person look at you and call that what you're doing as evil. How do we do this? Well, this is where it gets complicated. So maybe in the presence of someone, because we know their conscience is bothered, we say, I'm not going to do this. But I don't think it necessarily means that we have to give it up entirely. That we can do it privately. Meaning, don't let that person and their sensitive conscience and their calling everything that you do evil... In one sense, don't let that bother you. Now, if it's genuine, again, all of these things that we're talking about are not genuine sins. We should call evil evil, right? We should call sin sin. We are talking about this very narrow area where the scriptures give us some personal liberty. Is it okay to go to a concert? In our past, there are some that would have said no. I don't know what they would have done with Alyssa doing a concert. I guess, I guess that would be okay because that's in, in a church, right? And that's with a harp. And, that's, you know, and you start to get all of these little rules about what's okay and what's not okay. You know, well, if it has a guitar and the guitar is electric, that's not good. But if it has a harp, that's okay. You know, they're all string instruments. And this is where legalism gets out of control. So, you honor the sensitive conscience of the person who's sensitive, 
But if they're sitting here and saying, well, that's evil and don't touch that and you shouldn't even do that, you don't let them call something good evil. What does that mean? I think what it means is when you're around them, you're careful, you're courteous, you don't make a big deal or really talk about those things where you know that you have some freedom. At the same time, even though they feel something is wrong, one, they need some instruction to say, look, yes, this may bother your conscience, but you have to understand the scriptures give us some liberty here. You shouldn't be calling something evil when it's just a matter of your personal conscience. We honor your conscience, but don't elevate this to a level of a tier one sin. At the same time, you as an individual can continue in ways that don't disrupt the body to exercise your freedom. You don't let their strictness bind you in every area of your life. Remember we said last week we should never bind the conscience where Scripture doesn't bind the conscience. Meaning, if Scripture tells us not to do something, we shouldn't do it. But we shouldn't make an extra rule on top of Scripture. That's what the Pharisees did. Let's continue uh, as we walk through this. Um, Paul also gives us uh, some occasions where there are times where for the sake of the unbeliever, we do limit our behavior. This is taking us over to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 9. Paul says this, "...to the Jews I became a Jew in order to win the Jews." in order that uh, to those under the law I might become as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak to win the weak, and I became all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them what it, with them in its blessings. If we were going to be evangelistic in a Muslim country, we would go there and we would give up pork. And, and for those of us that occasionally maybe are okay with a glass of wine, you would go there and you would give up alcohol entirely. Why? Because you need to win the culture And you need to demonstrate that you respect them. And so like Paul does, he becomes like all people that he is around. So if he's with some Gentiles, yeah, he's going to eat some non-kosher food. If he's with Jews, he's going to honor and respect that, not to stir up things even more. And the point is, how much more is this true in the life of the church? So, do not, second this morning, do not cause the stumbling of others but pursue the greater things of the kingdom. So the focus here is not on the rules. It's not on the who has liberty, who has the conscience, what do I do? The focus is don't let trivial things bring down the issues of the kingdom of God. Focus on the most important. Verse 17 and 18. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and of peace and of joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. The kingdom. 
What God has given us, it's not about what you eat. Kosher food, not kosher food. And, and you know, we don't put out a dietary list for you as a church. Uh, now, this week in your bulletin, we've updated some of the rules. It's not a matter of drinking. The Scriptures allow freedom to enjoy a little bit of alcohol, a little bit of wine, maybe a little bit of beer. Um, what the Scriptures prohibit, and we talked about this last week, number one, do not be drunk. Number two, do not be addicted to it. Don't be, number three, enslaved to wine or drink. You can never get drunk. You can be a person who has never gotten drunk and still be enslaved to alcohol. But there isn't necessarily something inherently sinful with saying, you know, when I have my good Italian meal, I enjoy a nice pairing with a glass of red wine. Or when I do fish, I guess you've got to do white wine. I don't, I don't know how it all works. I, you have some freedom of conscience. Don't abuse that. Don't go farther. Don't cross the scriptural lines. Don't make the kingdom of God about these issues. Now, drunkenness is wrong. In fact, scripture says that the drunk will not inherit the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. But we don't make being in the life of the church, being and enjoying the things of God about whether or not you have bacon or whether or not you maybe partake of a small glass of wine. It's not about that. So we don't make rules up about that. We don't fight about that. What is the kingdom of God about? Righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. God accepts us through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the sign of the working of the Lord Jesus Christ in us is going to be love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Love, serving, using my spiritual gifts. It is a sad day in the life of the church when we judge Christian maturity by a list of rules. Good Christian doesn't do this. Good Christians do do this. Rather than issues of the heart. Love. Joy. Peace, patience, unity. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't bring commands. It doesn't mean we don't use the Word of God. And when the Word of God says, don't do this, we certainly say, hey, guys, as believers, Scripture says, don't do this. But the point is, when Paul says the kingdom is not a matter of eating or drinking, he's talking about this very narrow sliver of things where he's already been explaining, Scripture gives liberty of conscience. And don't take issues of liberty of conscience and elevate them to things that become top tier in the life of the church. And we could un- unpack uh, a whole number of 
particular examples. The point is this. We need to be people who build one another up. Look at verse 19. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. You can imagine Jewish and Gentile people fighting over food and what we can eat and what is clean and what is not clean and how do we do this and well so and so the gentile is eating these things and that really upsets me and 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 just being contentious about that am i building someone up maybe you feel that you have a little bit of liberty to have a glass of wine but are you building others up Where is your focus? Use your liberty in private. But when you're with the body, when you're talking about things, when you're just enjoying life together, are you focusing on those things that are your freedoms? Or are you focusing on the other person and encouraging them and building them up and and investing in their life? Making peace. Of mutual upbuilding. I had a whole list of examples here uh, that we could go into. You know, sometimes people in the dieting world are like this today. And, and sometimes you'll even see this, this Christian version of dieting. And, and so, you know, they'll come up with, I think one of the ones was like the, the Daniel diet. You know, only eat nuts and, and don't eat meat because Daniel didn't eat meat. Look, Daniel did that because he was around paganism. And, and if, if the only place that, you know, the only place to eat is a pagan restaurant in town, I would say don't go into the pagan restaurant and just eat nuts and vegetables at home. However, this is not the context that we live in. And so you get these people and they make these Daniel diets. And, and, and look, there's nothing wrong with that. If you want to do a diet fad, if you want to do the Atkins diet or the South Beach diet or uh, the Tim Bertolette diet, which, which is bacon and, and I don't know, uh, chocolate chip cookies and, and those sorts of things, uh, I wouldn't recommend that for losing weight. But uh, the, the point is you have some freedom there, right? And so use your freedom. But did you ever meet somebody that, that becomes an apologist for, for their diet? And not just as a, hey, this made me feel healthy, but, but kind of a, you know, it, it, it just makes me closer to God because I was eating these things. I, I'm being healthy with my body, and, and I just, you know, he doesn't want us to eat meat. Uh, and, and, and think of those poor little animals, and, and they're God's creation. And they, and they use that sort of spiritual way of, of making you feel guilty. Look, that doesn't build up anybody. That's not contributing to the life of the body. Look, if you have a diet that you like and you're sharing it with some people and you're saying, hey, uh, you know, this helped me get healthy, no problems. But if you're using it in such a way that it makes you more spiritual, that, that you're actually then starting to divide the body, you're starting to upset people in the body, someone comes along and says, well, you know, uh, that's just not right. I, are you saying I'm not spiritual because, because I enjoy a good steak? And the person just kind of clucks their tongue and says, well, it's not the best. And That divides the body. Let's move on this morning to our third point. Don't cause the stumbling of others, but show sacrifice as necessary. Where's your ultimate goal? Is your ultimate goal eating and drinking or is it building up the body? Look at verse 20. 
Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. And I think, I think Paul means it here in two senses. Don't destroy the work of God in someone else, but don't destroy the corporate work of God for the sake of food. Man, you can imagine, I think, going into to an early church and, again, bring it, if you brought bacon to the fellowship meal, that would have been like you know, dropping a grenade in the room. And you could, you could almost imagine how hairs would bristle up in the good Jewish people. And, and, and the point is here, don't destroy what God is doing. He's bringing uh, so many diverse people together. The work of God, He's working in individuals' life for salvation. You've just made an issue about something that isn't an issue, and it's going to tear the body apart. What do you love more? This freedom that you have, and, and it's a genuine freedom, or do you love God and the work that He is doing? And so, your conscience may not bother you on an issue of liberty, but at the same time, you want to see people and others thrive in the Lord. And yeah, we hope that, that more people come to recognize the freedom that they have. And that's how you avoid developing legalistic tendencies. But, but when we see that God is working, we recognize God will draw that out. And so rather than flaunting our freedom, you know, rather than saying, well, you know, my conscience doesn't bother me if I have a little bit of beer, so I'm going to bring some beer and pass it around. We say, look. Let's wait. Just let God work. In, in the same way, you know, since I'm on the alcohol issue, in the same way, there are people that are rightly triggered because of experiences they've had in the past. And you don't want to destroy the work of God in them by putting a temptation in front of them. Maybe someone was an alcoholic and God saved them out of that. And they need to avoid alcohol. And rightly so. Because those were sins in their past life. And they're forgiven of those things, but they don't want to stumble. Maybe somebody has a personal conviction not to touch any alcohol. Not because they've ever had a problem with it. But they had a parent that was an abusive drunk. And so when they see someone flaunting their freedom, they may say, well, yeah, okay, they have freedom. But that rips at their heart because they've seen what the abuse of something can do. Food is like that. Some people struggle with their weight. And, and, and those of us that are, that are skinny and have a high metabolism, you know, they struggle with maybe the amount of chocolate chip cookies that we can eat. The, the point is this, not flaunting the freedom. Some people have legitimate food addictions. And so we don't want to put stumbling blocks in front of them. Because they know that, that, that for them, food is, is a matter not just of eating, but it, it comes down to where is their heart? Is this becoming an idol in their life? You as a believer need to be sensitive to those who are around you lest you destroy the work of God. It's not about just walking in and saying, hey, I've got these freedoms and I'm going to use them. It's about saying what builds people up and what tears them down. There may be something that is totally innocent 
but is going to cause a believer to stumble. And not because that believer necessarily has a weak conscience, but maybe they just have some sort of life experience that you acting in such a way is going to trigger them. I know triggering is such a buzzword, but I just mean it in the sense of be sensitive to what hurts people, to what deep wounds you might pry open. Jokes can be like that. You might make a completely innocent joke. And believe me, as Christians, we have freedom to make jokes and laugh. But you might make a joke, and it's not a bad joke or an off-color joke. It just is a joke. But because of some experience that someone has, that joke hurts. Maybe you weren't making the joke even at them. But it hurt because they have a totally different life experience. Be careful. Paul says, indeed, everything is clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. You don't put this out there and say, I'm going to do this because I have freedom and I don't care if it causes them to stumble because they should know that they have freedom. Look at what he says in the second half of uh, or in verse 21. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. Now, notice this here. This is assuming that there are appropriate times for eating meat and drinking wine. But it's good not to do this or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. Verse 22 The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself by what he approves. So, this is where I say, I think it means you have the liberty to do something in private. It says, the faith that you have, keep it between yourself and God. If your conscience doesn't convict you to have a glass of wine at dinner... Have a glass of wine at dinner if you're not addicted, if you're not drunk, if you're not doing it to get buzzed, all of those things. You're avoiding all of the sins. But don't do it in a way that flaunts it, in a way that you know there's a weaker brother and they're going to struggle with. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. Look, if you have the freedom in Christ, you're not judging yourself. Blessed, praise God. You did that. It's between you and God. You don't feel guilty. You don't have to feel guilty. It's not violating the word. It's not a sin. Amen, Paul is saying. But he also says this. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Is sin. If you don't drink alcohol, amen. If you abstain from it for matters of, of personal conscience, amen. If you just feel like, you know, I, I, I just can't embrace that freedom in Christ. I, I just can't take it, drink a little bit, even by faith, because I've seen the effects, I know the effects, I've experienced it, what, whatever it might be. Paul is saying here twofold. One, amen. Two, don't do it then. If you can't, with a free conscience, 
embrace something that's a legitimate objective of freedom, if subjectively you can't allow yourself to do that, then don't do it. With this food situations in the ancient church, if there was a Jewish person that they just could not get their minds around this freedom, Paul doesn't want the rest of the church to guilt them way down their conscience and almost, in a sense, force them to use their freedom. Because that's not freedom in Christ. The point is this. How do we solve, how do we keep these things from being divisive? Keep them private. Keep them between yourself and God. Do them by faith when you do them. Or if you don't do them, don't do them because of your faith. Don't put rules on other people that they have to be as strict as you. Don't put rules on other people that they have to be as free as you on matters of personal conscience. Do whatever you do to build up other Christians. These should be things that we almost don't have to talk about because it's like, who cares? As long as you're not sinning, the issues of the kingdom are about living in righteousness, about joy, worshiping together, hearing God's word. Make the issues of the kingdom the issues in our church and in your life. Let's close in a word of prayer. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, we uh, pray that you would be with us today. We pray that you would instruct us from your word, uh, that you would give us guidance, Lord, that you would use uh, our consciences and the work of the Holy Spirit in us to guide us and, and instruct us on, on, in our personal lives. What are some of these decisions uh, that we need to make uh, for ourselves? And in all of these things, may we just love our brothers and sisters and, and build them up and encourage them. Uh, in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.